0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the ASIN podcast series. I'm your host, Nick James, and this month we'll discuss grassroots Russian nationalism and the Russian extreme right. We ask who these grassroots activists are, what they believe in, and we dive a bit into their inner workings and histories, guided along the way by Sofia Topaldo, whose work has focused on the extreme right in Russia. She's a research fellow at the University of Manchester, and you can find one of her newest chapters titled The Extreme Right Edge of Russian Nationalism and the Conflict in Ukraine, the National Socialist Initiative, in Paul Kalsta's new book, Russia Before and After Crimea. I highly recommend the book since it's truly fascinating and has contributions from amazing authors on all aspects of Russian nationalism uh, before and after Crimea. <laughs> and I'm sorry for anyone trying to find it at LSC, but I've reserved it for three months. I find our topic of the week, um, Russian nationalism and the extreme right very familiar to me since it's tangential to my master's work. But also anecdotally, the first night I spent in Russia back in 2016, I found myself an American college student alone and wanting to go out. However, I was not really familiar with the neighborhoods and the nightlife terrain. So I ended up in this dingy basement bar still in my neighborhood by the old Dinamo Stadium, surrounded by Dinamo hooligans, pretty much. And these guys were big and very stereotypical looking and sounding. And so I clearly found the wrong place to go out and have a night. But it was probably the best place to do anthropological research or something. Uh, anyways, I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> they found me in my half-Russian a uh, bit of a novelty since... I could list off successive generations of Dinamo players. In doing so, I got this really very hazy glimpse into the inner workings of some ethnic grassroots nationalism that night. Um, That being said, Sophia's is going to help us and and help me understand that nationalism a bit more. Let's move the discussion more along to our topic with my interview with Sophia. (laughs) Before we go more in depth with your work, I just wanted to ask you what your previous work looks like and and what you're looking for in the future.
1: So um, my previous research on Russian nationalism uh, has predominantly to do with uh, extra parliamentarian far-right movements. It's closer to the literature of social movements. I'm actually bringing in social movement theories in the study of the Russian far-right, which is something that has not been looked at up to today. I'm using the tools of social movement research in order to see their dynamics Um and I'm mostly interested on the factors that uh, made them change uh, through, since the fall of the Soviet Union up to nowadays. Um, my, my PhD research was uh, looking um, into the new movements that uh, were formed when Vladimir Putin came in power in 2000. Uh, so what I noticed there was a change from the old radical rights, as I uh, call it, Uh, to a new radical right in Russia. And I was looking to the factors uh, that uh, influenced this phenomenon from the scope of political opportunity structures and discursive and technological opportunity structures. And what I found um, was that the leadership played an important role. Um, For my PhD research, I I interviewed uh, leaders of this uh, small Fariot organization, uh, the most representative ones. Um, I also did participant observations, so I'm, I'm uh, mostly using ethnographic uh, methods uh, in order to study the rise and the, the, the factors that influence their change through the years. Um, what I'm uh, mostly interested now in my ongoing research has to do with the impact of, of uh, the right movements. Uh, the extent to which they have an impact on Russian foreign policy, Um, looking at the war in Ukraine. So I'm trying to develop a way of measuring this impact. Um, And I'm uh, applying uh, critical discourse analysis, protest event analysis, in order to, to, to spot their main frames, and then also looking to the governmental frames, uh, about some s- significant uh, new terms that were introduced and that we hear more and more often, like Novorossiya uh, and Ruskimir, the Russian World), And then uh, through process tracing, I will try to find if there is uh, any kind of connection from when this particular frame was first introduced in the public dialogue to the point that the government starts to make uh, use, intensive use of it and how it applies is always with uh, looking at the world in, in Ukraine.
0: So what, what, do you, what does the Russian far-right look like?
1: When looking into the far-right, uh, I realized that it is uh, not a straightforward uh, um, organization. Uh, there's nothing that is easily to spot. It is made up of different uh, minor movements. That are constantly uh, on the change because they function under uh, an authoritarian regime. So in order to be able to do that, they have to transform themselves and reinvent themselves constantly. Uh, the strategies that they followed is to to create a leaderless uh, structure. so they have multiple re- leaders who um, uh, cover Different aspects of uh, societal topics of concern. So there is, uh, some organizations that focus on the topic of immigration, um, like the movement against illegal immigration. Uh, there are other organizations that um, flirt more with liberal ideals. These are the National Democrats, um, and um, they want to uh, establish. Uh, a nation state and the European standards in Russia, and they're in favor of democracy. And they want they're fighting for the right to uh, be able to participate in the democratic elections. Um, then you have other organizations that are more uh, religious um, and they uh, adopt this uh, anti-abortion schemes and they underline a lot the role of the orthodoxy and of the Russian nation. It's not a monolithic thing that you can look at and uh, speak about with certainty and and this uh, and this is very important if we want to understand what is really going on there um scholars up to now tended to look to the the farret parties uh, that have already made it to the duma the big ones like Zhirinovsky, for instance or Rodina uh, but since um Russia is not a democratic regime uh We expect uh, that um, uh, these parties are uh, kremlin favorites, so we expect that they are serving the interests of the Kremlin to a certain extent uh, and th- and and this is an important uh, uh, division line between those parties and the other ones the extra parliamentarian ones which um as as I see it are the true representatives of grassroots nationalism. And uh, so far, they were not allowed to, to run for election. Uh, maybe the, the most, one of the most famous representatives of, of, of the extra parliamentarian uh, nationalist is uh, Navalny, uh, who has joined the liberal opposition and who has made it that far to be considered by uh, most... Uh, Scholars and observers as uh, Putin's challenger nowadays. And of course, he's also not left uh, to run for. He was not left to run for election. Um, but uh, all all these organizations have a common root, uh, and it's, we can trace it back to the to the late eighties and the nineties, the Pamyat, uh out of which several branches came out. And some of which got transformed to the later movements, which are significant nowadays, like uh, the the movement against illegal immigration or the National Democrat Party or uh, Solovey's new force. Uh, These are new actors that we have in the game. And again, just because uh, they are constantly repressed and they were shut down many times uh, uh, from the government uh, 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 under the... Uh, the the lower, the the lone extremism uh, they had to uh, evolve and they had to change their frames they have to even to change their names so in order to spot them, you have to go back uh, to their history and you have to look at the leaderships with uh, other leaders who remain the same throughout
0: the years they're kind of fringe groups who What's the demographic makeup of who follows them?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. So you have um, on the top, uh, the leaders of, of these parties are usually intellectuals, some of them, especially of the National Democrats. Um, Konstantin Krilov, for instance, um, he is one of the persons who has mostly written on the topic. Um, also Solovey. Uh, so y- you find uh, people who are more um, intellectual elites, belong to the intellectual elites, and they are the ones who are setting the ideology of these movements. Um, then you have grassroots activists who didn't have a political, or a political background, um, but who became very famous because of their mobilisation um, and who are, who managed to who were good leaders and managed to mobilise uh, the people around them, uh, like Alexander Belov, for instance, um, from the movement against illegal immigration, or Djomushkin from the Slavic Union. Um, these two uh, are mostly... The, the, the people that follow them are mostly youngsters. They, one, one part of their groups uh, are also connected to football hooligans. Uh, but uh, I can say from my experience at the Russian March, march in 2011, from my participant observation there, that uh, the majority uh, of of the peoples who were forming the blocks, uh were young, were youngsters, were of very young ages. But um, uh, it, it was not only it, so it was not only uh, something that uh, is attractive to the younger uh, parts of Russian society, because I've also seen uh, older people of various ages, so, so from older generations, like above 50, to people in their 40s with their kids who are participating. So it's not clear-cut neither who, who where they gain their support from. I think it depends on the group and what kind of ideology uh, they have. So more extreme ideologies uh, are more likely to be attractive to younger people.
0: So coming coming back to ideology, what role does ideology play, and what are the ideological contents of these uh, far right nationalists?
1: Okay, on the one side you have. Uh, I, I would I would uh, split it in two main blocks. So the first block would be the national democrats, uh, those uh, who look at. Uh, the example of Western Europe and the Western European far-right. Um, they've mentioned the example of uh, Le Pen. Uh, by they, I mean the, the, the leaders whom I spoke to. Uh, they, uh, they mentioned the example of, of uh, Le Pen in France. It was uh, one of the parties that uh, they were considering very important. Um, and they're talking about uh, a, a Russian state Russian nation-state so the main argument is that uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union uh, Russia did not have the chance to make its own nation-state and that the rights of Russians are not even um, protected from the Constitution Uh, so um, that's uh, they come with policy recommendations and some of the main frames uh, um, have to do with um, protecting the rights of Russians they have created also legal uh, help for crime against Russians. And this refers mostly to crime by non-Russians to Russians. So they highlight this aspect. But they're also very liberal in their definition. So they want to establish a democracy in Russia. And they and, and they give um, significance. They, they, they make sure that uh, this argument... It's very clear that they're not. They want to detach themselves from um, authoritarian tendencies, and so they they wanted to reassure me uh, as an interlocutor that that uh, they do want to have a democratic uh, nation state. So the the, the second branch um, are are those organizations that are m- more towards the extreme right of the Axis. So these organizations are flirting also with neo-Nazi symbols, and they have a more strict ethnic definition about who is Russian and who is not. This kind of organizations are, for example, the Movement Against illegal Immigration, the Slavic Union, um, other Orthodox Marxist organizations. The basic point that differentiates these two is how inclusive the nation is. Of course, then on the other side, you have also the Dukin and the Neo-Eurasianist movement. Uh, but uh, I perceive it as, close, as closer to the, to the authorities and to the government. That's why I did not uh, uh, research it for, for my uh, PhD dissertation that was on the extra parliamentarian far-right. Movement. And then there is um, the National Bolsheviks uh, of Eduard Limonov, um, w- which is now transformed into the Drugaya Rossiya, the other Russia party. And one of my findings is that we should uh, finally disentangle it from the rest of the nationalist uh, far-right organisations in Russia because uh, they have a totally different uh, principle that they're working on. So they're inclusive. They have a very inclusive notion of uh, what the Russian, Russian nation is. Um, but they're imperialist still. But they want, want to reestablish the Soviet Union. Uh, so they do have uh, imperialist tendencies, but they have a very inclusive notion of uh, nationhood. But one of, of the reasons that we should disentangle them completely from the nationalist scene uh, is that they do not collaborate. So, of course, you know, the, the leaders know each other, uh, but they don't hold any public actions together. One of the main uh, protest events of Drugaya Russia is uh, the, uh, the 31 uh, demonstration every 31st of the month. That's 31 days. Um, and they're holding them by, by themselves. And there are no nationalists uh, participating in it. Whereas uh, I would say the landmark of, of, of the Russian nationalists is uh, the Ruski March. Uh, every 4th of November, where Drukai where Russia uh, does not participate. so Maybe you have some members who do, uh, but this is not on an official level.
0: Mm-hmm. So, could you comment on the, um, I guess, distinction between Russischi and Ruski? Just for our listeners to understand the kind of different um, conceptions of what Russia is.
1: Yes, so so this, uh, the Russian language has this particularity of using these two terms to, to, to define what we call Russians. <laughs> Here, uh, the major di- difference, to make it simple, is that uh, Ruski is based on an ethnic definition of Russianness, whereas uh, Russiski is a civic one.
0: And how does that come into play with these differing ideologies? Like, how does that first um, strain we talk about relate to that um, divide and how does that second one?
1: Yeah, so uh, those organizations who belong to the extreme uh, right, far right, the extreme nationalists, uh, they identify uh, mostly with uh, Ruski and, for instance, the organization that followed the movement against illegal immigration when it was banned uh, was named Ruskiya. And then they, they they made efforts to create a party, the party of nationalists. Um, but this is significant of the way that th- th- they think about their nation. Uh, whereas uh, Rosciska would be more the definition of uh, Drugaya Racja, Filmonov's party, and of uh, the National Democrats. However, one of the uh, interesting findings of of um, my interviews with the leaders of of the nationalist organizations was that. Um, th- there is no unified definition of what the Russian nation is, uh, neither in Rosisky or in Ruski terms. Uh, so because um, I always um, made them this question about what is the Russian nation for you. And I was hearing totally different answers. Some of them were starting saying that, of course, Russian is uh, the person who lives in Russia and knows the culture and speaks the language and knows the history and respects uh, uh, the Russian values. Uh, but th- then, um, and this kind of an anecdote, as, as, as the conversation went o- on, and I asked, uh, okay, so uh, I speak Russian, I know uh, the culture, I know history, uh, could, I be, could I be considered a Russian? had they been living here for a while and then uh the answer came that was like yeah okay but uh, you're white so you could be <laughs> so uh, you find also that's for some organization more, the more extreme ones that color mm-hmm. uh does play a role and um whereas uh, Whereas for others, uh, it, it doesn't matter at all. It could be uh, any color, any backgrounds, whatever. It's more the case of Trukaya Russia,
0: for instance. So for that kind of um, extremist variant, are they imperialist to any degree? And how does that kind of flesh out if, if they're only thinking in terms of an ethnic nation, since Russia is a multi-ethnic you know, federation?
1: Yes, so this is where the concept of the Ruskimir comes. Yes, it's their point of view, uh, I would say, has to do with Russianess uh, as a synonym for uh, white Slavic Orthodox population. Uh, that includes uh, uh, white Russia and Ukraine, so, as part, yes, yeah, as, as part of the Slavic Brotherhood.
0: <laughs> so, so it's kind of like a perverted Dostoevskian, you know, all humanitarian union of Russian nations, I guess. But to what degree does does that actually come out in their ideology? Like, like if they see a Serbian down the street, they're not going to go up and be like, "You're Russian." <laughs>
1: well, it's not. Uh, well, they're very f- friendly and open to other Orthodox fellow nations, like the Serbs or the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're hostile to uh, Muslim uh, countries, even if they were part of the Soviet Union. So um, now we're not talking about uh, Limonov's Drugaia Rasia, we're talking about uh, the national democrats and mostly about the extreme right, um, who's identified the enemy as the illegal immigrant that comes from uh uh, the Central Asia, they use uh, the term Chorni, Blacks, uh, to refer to to these people, um, and also paradoxically enough, from the Caucasus, because uh, they identify them through the religion.
0: If they do have imperialist tendencies or, or visions, how do they reconcile that with these kind of racist or um, exclusionary uh, rhetoric?
1: To there different um, ideas about how the empire should be. So, uh, one branch that wants the empire to be a Slavic empire, according uh, to these lines, to the, the lines of whiteness, uh, uh, Slavicness and orthodoxy. And another one that's more pluralistic and looks more of the territoriality and uh, more influenced by Soviet ideals of making the, the Soviet man... Uh, who, of course, um, feels Russian as as the spokesperson of uh, Drugaya Rossiya uh, told to me, um, uh, his um, factor of of judging who is Russian and who not, uh, depending on whether one is able uh, to to spill his own blood or somebody else's blood for Russia.
0: For Russia, and, and so that's almost like a. Uh... I guess, continuation of, of what Alexander Motil says of the perfect Soviet who, who is either Russian or a Russified non-Russian who believes in Soviet power, but in this place you can place that with Russian and communist ideology, which you can replace with uh, empire, which I think is, is a good ending point for, for this brilliant discussion because we're running a bit over time. So I'd like to quickly shift gears and ask you, a few lighter questions on academia. One: How did you find yourself studying the Russian right?
1: Yes. um, I was initially sure that I want to study the foreign policy of the European Union towards Russia. Um, And I went to Germany to do my master's at the Vyadrino University, um, where I encountered this uh, very interesting uh, seminar uh, on the Russia, on on the Eastern European far-right. And um, that's when I started studying uh, the role of the Orthodox Church uh, and Russian nationalism uh, for my master's thesis and uh, slowly understood that, uh, the complexity of the issue and decided to make a more thorough study, which later became my PhD study, to understand all this multiplicity of uh Russian nationalism and how different ideologies they are included in there and how important it is as a scholar as a researcher uh, to identify these different tendencies and to speak about each one and to try to understand each one uh, judging from uh, the different uh, uh, starting points uh, that they have otherwise uh, it's uh, I don't think it's very plausible to have and an explanation uh, if you want to understand how and why um, they appeared or why the changed or what kind of impact they might have on Russia's foreign or immigration policies. Mm
0: -hmm. So for a final question, do you have any advice for younger scholars other than don't?
1: Uh, Well, my advice would be um, be pluralistic and keep in your mind that it's not a phenomenon that was uh, made in Russia and applies only to Russia, although there are some characteristics that makes it unique as it, it is in different countries. And um, try to compare it as much as you can with different settings.
0: So think comparatively.
1: Think comparatively.
0: All right. Well, I wanted to take the time to thank you for uh, this discussion. That was truly a wonderful discussion. We covered a huge amount of ground between the empirical points talking about ethnic grassroots nationalism and its ideological basis, and some theoretical components too. Sophia has brilliant insights on nationalism, grassroots social movements, and and their effects on policy. I specifically think that her takeaways on Zironovsky being condoned by the regime on one hand. While nationalists in the same vein aren't deserves a more in-depth analysis. It just has a sort of uh, potency to it. The quote-unquote LDPR, the Liberal Democrats under Zhirinovsky, being condoned by the regime, but imperialist ultranationalists in the same vein are marginalized since they're not functionally useful and moreover her first her first hand experiences on who makes up these grassroots groups is fascinating, but for me specifically, the section which covers how exclusionary nationalism reconciles with imperialism in the Russian case is perceptive, and she uses a deft understanding to lay out the theoretical problems extremely clearly. In fact, we run from motil and empire to pan-Slavism and Dostoevsky, to social movement theory, to some esoteric sources and theories. And all of that being said, I'm very much excited to hear more from Sophia and for you, the listener. I can only apologize for some of our uh, undeletable snickering at the hectic conditions of my office during the ASIN conference when this was recorded. And I also apologize for some of the phone radiation, which became audible at certain points. But I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank you for tuning in and for listening this far. And I hope you tune in again. You can reach us on Twitter at ASINEvents, Events, or you can reach me personally at Nicholas D. James. Thank you again.